Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to our church podcast. This week's sermon is from our series, The Core, where we are taking a look at the values of our church stands on. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Happy to be here this morning on the heels of a great celebration called Thanksgiving, a holiday which is my favorite, not spiritually, but physically. I love hanging out with family. I love eating a lot of food. I love uh, laughing and getting together. I love watching football games. Uh, And also, it puts me in the position where I am thankful for what's next, and that is as we celebrate the birth of our living Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I was thinking about Thanksgiving, and I do have a grateful heart. I don't know why. Some people seem, gratitude seems to come easier for some than it does for others. Some people ask, uh, saying, Thanksgiving, uh, saying thank you is, is equivalent to saying I'm sorry. It's just hard to get across their lips. I am extremely thankful for what God has done in my life, for who God is in my life, I, I, in part because I know where I come from. And if you really understand where you come from and you understand what God has delivered you to, it's really, it should just radiate from you. When you sing that song that we just sang, it should be a reminder of how good God is to us. And, and, and thanksgiving to God should just come out. And so I was thinking about thanksgiving, and, and although thanksgiving is a holiday, I think thanksgiving should be a lifestyle. I think it should be called thanks living instead of thanksgiving. I think our lives should just radiate with gratitude to the God who has been so good to us. But this celebration that we have, uh, you know, we live in a world where we have diluted, erased, and tried to do away with our Christian heritage as a country. In fact, if you read some of the history books and listen to some of the history teachers of today, they'll tell you that our country was not actually built or founded on Christianity or Christian principles or biblical truths. That's a lie. Now, although all of the people in our heritage as a nation were not Christian, many, many, many of them were. Many, many, many of the leaders were. In fact, the pilgrims, it says that the pilgrims celebrated Thanksgiving in 1621. There were 90 Indians or uh, Native Americans, and there were 53 pilgrims. That's all that had survived the sicknesses and the diseases that they encountered. So later, George Washington himself would say some things about the goodness of God, and he would institute a day of Thanksgiving. Later, in in 1863, Abraham Lincoln would proclaim it as a national holiday. That's why we get to celebrate it on the fourth uh, Thursday of each year. Now, I, w- I just want to read a little bit from his proclamation. This is from Washington, D.C., October 3rd, 1863, from Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States. Now, I'm not going to read it all. I just want you to hear a little bit about how our country was originally founded and directed. It says, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed, that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are so of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. Now, he puts a little phrase in here, which I'll come back to. He says, in the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, 
So keep in mind, he's writing this for the country to have a day of thanksgiving every year for the rest of its existence. He's writing it in the middle of a civil war where over 600,000 men would, le- would lose their lives in battle. And he's writing this. He's declaring this as a national holiday. Going on down, he says this. He goes into the benefits of how even in the middle of civil war, everything is still blessed by God. Then he says, no human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the most high God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. Reading down a little further, he says, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national pers- uh, per- perseverance and disobedience commend to his tender care all of those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers. I mean, this is what we were built on, and yet we so often move away from who it is that we were originally intended to be as a nation. We turn on the television and we watch uh, radical political groups rebelliously disrespect our president, and sure, sometimes he brings it on, Uh, but we also watch uh, people ignorantly take a knee during the national anthem and foolishly denigrate our flag and deny our Christian heritage, and today I just want to remind you, you have every reason to be thankful to God. Now, now I just I, w- I want to exercise something. I, I, before we even get started, I just want to I want to test and measure your level of gratitude. If you think God has been good, say out loud, looking up, God, you have been good to me. Now he apparently hadn't been very good, so I'm going to pray for y'all right now that he'll be good next year. Because in the Bible, the word thankful in the Old Testament, there's about seven different words. Two of them are predominant uh, Hebrew words that are used. And one of the words for thanksgiving is we raise our hand, okay? We raise our hand in extension to God that we are trusting him for guidance, that our hands are open to receive blessings. It is a surrender to God. So let's just practice this. I'm going to make y'all real uncomfortable. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Okay, let me pause right there make sure nobody has like a stroke. Okay, nobody passes out because the blood rushed out of their brain. Okay, it works. Nobody died. With one hand up, look to God and say, thank you, God. You have been good to me. All right, you can put your hands down. You don't have to, but look, everybody did anyway. All right, here's the thing. That's how we should live our lives. With our hand extended to God, God, you have been good to me. Listen, if your life is a train wreck and your health is, is, is in a bad spot right now, I want to let you know you still have reason to be thankful because God has sent you a Savior whose name is Jesus, and he has rescued you from your sinful condition, no matter what it looks like, and put you on a new plane with a destiny in heaven for eternity. And if you can't find anything else to praise him for and to thank him for, that's a good start. 
And if that's all you ever get to, that just land right there, he has been good. In the good times and in the bad and the pleasant and in the painful, he is still good. And he is a good, good father. Now, there's a scripture that sometimes is misinterpreted, misquoted, and it's found in Philippians 4, 6. And this is how we are supposed to deal, uh, approach God in everything that comes into our life. Okay? It says this. It says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, there's an interesting word in there that deserves a little bit of attention. It's a small word. It says, but in everything. I want to tell you, you don't necessarily have to thank God for everything, but you're called out to thank God in everything. In is a word that implies that you're traveling through it. Okay, that you're passing through. So in the midst of your trouble, and there's many of you today that are in a tough spot, either in relationship or somebody in your family or that's in a relationship, there's a, a trouble with a relationship, or maybe a sickness in your family or, or maybe a, a financial burden or whatever it is. Listen, thank God in that, knowing that when you trust him, he will deliver you through that thing. And that's the way our God is. Now, God deserves it, but often we fail to give him uh, the gratitude and the thankfulness that he deserves. And sometimes we just need an attitude adjustment. Sometimes we need to stop focusing so much on the negative and move to the positive of what God has done for us. Now you say, well, yeah, Jesus died on a cross for me and everything, and I'm going to heaven, I'm born again, that's all cool and everything. But what has he done for me right now? Let me just give you an example. Everybody take a big, deep breath and then blow it back out. <sighs> I want to remind you that is borrowed air. That is borrowed air. He, you didn't deserve that breath. You didn't deserve the next beat of your heart. God is gracious and has graced you and blessed you with that. And when you took that area and you took out of it what it was you needed and gave him the leftovers. Did you notice that? You took it in, took out the oxygen you needed and just, and some of y'all are sitting there thinking, yeah, this person behind me should have brushed their teeth. Okay, that's all I'm saying, all right? Now, God has graced us with that, but we just take it for granted. We breathe, our, beat, our heart beats, but you let us you let us run out of air. <laughs> like the time that we took a bunch of 7th graders to the Okoe. And I had a bunch of 7th grade uh, kids whose parents didn't want their kids to go. And they said, I'm not real comfortable with this, Joel. I said, listen, I'll put them in a boat with me. That was not the smartest move I've ever made. Because every time the guy that's the, 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 the captain of the boat or whatever, every time he says a command, they jump in the bottom of the boat. But with Jesus as my witness, for some weird reason, a woman ended up on our boat. She weighed about 280. She sat right behind me. I don't know her. She was from the devil. And we got, we got stuck in one of the uh, 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 turbulence, the whitewaters. It's called, it's called Hell's Hole. That's, I'm just telling you that's the name of it. So our front of our boat got stuck, and she wanted to stay in the boat. All the seventh graders laying in the bottom of the boat like a bunch of cowards. I'm in the very front. She put her feet on my back to stay in the boat and kicked me right out of the boat. And when I got out of the boat, out of the boat it sucked me right up under the boat. And I'm thinking, that's not good. All right? And so I, I'm holding my breath and I'm praying, God, where are you at? And I let all my air out. God, where are you at? And he said, just stick your hand up. I praise Jesus. I put my hand up, and it went in a flap, and it pulled me right out. 
And I think, thank you, Jesus. And the turbulence sucked me right back up onto the boat. And I didn't even have any air. Now, I'm telling you the truth. By the time they got me out under the boat, I was a dish rag. I was exa- they drug me in the boat. There were two boats on top of me. Okay, If you've ever been in a place where you cannot get air, you appreciate some air. Okay, And air in and of itself is a gift from God. And so don't forget that. We have every reason to be thankful. Now keep in mind, when Abraham Lincoln wrote this, he wrote it to a, 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 a nation who's in civil war where over 600,000 600, uh, people would die in that civil war. And yet he's saying, hey, people, don't forget to be thankful because God is a good, good God. So today's message is t- entitled, Gratitude, Making Much of God's Miracles. Making Much of God's Miracles. Now we're going to look at a passage today that's found in Luke, and it's the only gospel that it's found in. And it's found in Luke chapter 17, in verses 11 through 19. Luke 17, if you've got your Bible or your device, look that up, and I'll have it on the screen behind me. Beginning reading in verse 11, it says, Now, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was entering a village, ten men with leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. They raised their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, Jesus said, Go and show yourself to the priest. And they went along and they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell with his face to the ground at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, Uh, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to turn back and give praise to God except this one foreigner? Then he said to the man, get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want to look at a few things today about positioning ourselves for miracles from God and our appropriate and proper response to God when he performs miracles. Now, I just want to remind you, I'm not talking about an isolated event called a miracle. I'm talking about the everyday miracle of life. And so here's what we do. The first thing on your worship guide is desperation, verses 12 through 13. We need to be, become people who are desperate for God. I mean, like the deer pants for the water, man. We are after God's heart. We want to know what God wants in our life. We want to be obedient to God's call in our life. We get in his word so we'll know what his promises are to us. We pray to him, building our relationship of faith with our God. In verses 12 and 13, it says, excuse me, verse 10, it says, 10 men with leprosy met him and stood at a distance. Now, now, these guys were lepers, not leopards, lepers. They were leprous. Now, this is a disease that used to plague the world, and still it's a problem in some parts of the world. But this problem was, this uh, disease was contagious, it was painful, it was brutal. And if you were a leper and you had this disease, you were quarantined. You had to live in a, in a, in a place quarantined just for people who had leprosy. And here we find 10 people, and the, the rule was if you were walking down the street and you, were, uh, and you had leprosy, you had to shout out, leper, leper, to let them know, hey, man, there's somebody with a disease that's contagious in the midst. So watch where you go. So, so here we live in a world today where we're not, so we don't have a problem with people. It was like they were dead men walking, you know. Their, their ears would get diseased and the top of them would just fall off and their fingertips would rot away and their skin would, would just, was, was scaly and open wounds. And it was very 
very painful. We live in a world now that is captivated by that idea. We watch all these zombie shows, and you may be one of those persons that, that watches The Walking Dead. I've never watched one of those episodes. I think dead people should be in a box six feet under the ground. People are, are amazed about dead people wanting to attack live people. I don't get that, okay? But that's the world we live in. Listen, that is not a pleasant thing. Leprosy, leprosy was a miserable thing. I want you to know about the statistics because it's a real disease, okay? Globally, in 2012, the number of chronic cases of leprosy was 189,000. And the number of new cases was 230,000. The number of chronic cases has decreased from some 5.2 million cases in the 1980s. So it's been around, it's still around, and it gets smaller each year because it is more treatable than it ever has been in the past. Now, what we have here is we have these 10 people who... Um, who notice that there's a miracle man in the midst. There's somebody who's been, the, the rumor is out. The word on the street is that this Jesus guy is doing incredible things in the lives of people that he encounters. Now here's people who are desperate for a healing, desperately have a need that somebody might possibly meet. So these 10 people come before Jesus and they holler at him, Master, have mercy on us. And so so we have to be people that are desperate for God. Thanksgiving should move you to desperation. Because when we, are, when we understand where everything comes from, we become desperate for him. We move to a place, man, where it's all about what God does in our life. Now, I'm just going to ask you, have you ever found yourself in a desperate place where you really needed God to do something incredible for you? If you have, say, I have. That's good. Remember those times. And, and, and let your faith grow based on those times. Let me give you an example. When Kendra and I first got married, uh, this was in 1985, and, and I had graduated college. I made $21,500, which back in the day was good money. Kendra was still in school. She was at UTC. Why we got married, she was still in school. I do not know why her parents let her marry me. I will never know, but that's the case. Now, we, have, we were not financial wizards. Dave Ramsey, never heard of him. Larry Burkett, none of that. None, none of that. Marriage counseling, none of that. Okay? And so we go into this world living in Chattanooga away from our families, and we begin to try to make a, a life together. And so the first Christmas came along, and I'll tell you how wonderful we were at, at managing money, at managing our money. Well, first of all, we paid rent was $175. We stayed in a one-room cabin. Okay, $175. Secondly, we drove a new car, $305 or $301. Now, that's messed up. When you're paying twice for your car, what you are for your rent, okay? That's how we were. We didn't know. We just were ignorant. We did not know. We weren't stupid. We were uninformed, okay? So here's what happened. Christmas came along the first year. I was with Mueller Company, a big foundry down there as an engineer. And, and we had spent our money, and we were in, in November. And Kendra and I come from families where Christmas is very big. And we, we knew God could, could hear our prayers. And so we're like, God, Christmas coming on. We don't have a lot of money. How are we going to work this thing out? And, and had this huge revelation, which was not from God. And it is this. And Kendra and I discussed it. Why don't we not pay our tithe this month? And that way we can get everybody their Christmas present, pay all of our bills. And then we'll get caught up on tithes, listen to this, with our tax returned. Now, there's a good plan. Amen. That's good stuff. No, it's not. That's of the devil. All right? Because here's what happened. All right? Before December ended, we were stone cold broke. No food in the cabinet, no food in the fridge. Now, the 
$305 car payment was made, $175 rent payment was made. And along with that, all of a sudden, these medical bills came in, and we're paying those. We bought Christmas, and before Christmas ever got here, we were flat busted. And she and I both were way too proud to call Knoxville and ask her parents or my parents for some money. Way too proud. We would go hungry before we would ask for help. Her parents would come down and visit, realize how poor we were, and it was like we were living inner city on the streets. They'd leave a box of food, you know, canned goods, you know, survive for survival for another week. Dumbest decision, one of them that we've ever made. But I want to tell you this, we were praying. I was praying because I'm the guy, okay, and I'm praying, you know, God, I've messed this all up. Please, I'm desperate. Can you help me? And so Jesus is my witness. I go to work the next day or a couple of days later, and they said the company sent, uh, sent out, we didn't have email and all that stuff. They sent out a, a message that said, hey, come by the front office today to get your Christmas gift. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. They gave me $500. It's going to be, man, so good. Now, keep in mind, God already knew I wasn't a good money manager. We weren't doing things right. So I go up there. You think they had a, water, a sack full of cash for me? No. 15 pounds of bacon and a 10-pound ham. I'm glad I wasn't Jewish, okay? We ate. Kendra learned how to make everything with bacon and ham, and I loved it. It beat a whole lot what we had in the cabinets, all right? And so God provided to this day, to this day. I can't hardly sit down and eat a donut without saying, God, thank you again for this food. I'm serious. We pray over food. You ever watch people pray over food? Okay. If you don't pray over your food, you should because it's a gift from God. It's, and you say, well, no, I, I, I worked. I earned my money and bought my food. Yeah, the only reason you got a health to work and a mind to work is because God gave that to you. So go to the source and don't be embarrassed. I remember I used to take customers. There's my, my, my ninja bee right there. You better get on out of here. Okay. I used to take customers when I was in sales. I would take them out to dinner. And at first, I was kind of awkward. I was a little bit, honestly, a little embarrassed to pray over my food because I didn't know where they were spiritually. So here's what I did. I said, God, I'm just going to pray, and you just handle all the weirdness, okay? So they'd bring the food, and I would pause it. I would say, hey, be okay if I said a blessing over this food? Yeah. And I would pray, and when I would pray for the food, I'd mention them by name. And you know what they would do? They would thank me for thanking God. So I want to encourage you, pray, man, over your meals. Don't be bashful. Let people know where you think your food came from. They could think all day where they're, they, they're, that theirs came from them, but let everybody know that where you know yours came from. And so we've got to be desperate for a miracle because God looks for desperate people because desperate people are faith-filled people because desperate people realize I can't do this on my own. I've got to have God's hand in this blessing and in this miracle. Number two, beside desperation, we have presentation. In verse 13, it says that these men, these lepers, raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, this is interesting because they present themselves to the one that they think can provide a miracle. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe in a big God or do you have a big you, little God mentality? In other words, a, a little God, big me mentality says, I can do this myself. My, my little grandson, every time he tries to do something, you want to help him? Myself. Myself. That's the way we are with God. God's wanting to help us. Myself. I got this. Okay? If you have a big God, little you mentality, it changes the way you go to him. You go to him for big things and little things. And God is okay 
with that. God is okay with you going before him every day saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Christmas season is here, and we were talking about it now, uh, back in the day, and I'm just going to test your age. You remember when the J.C. Penney's and the Sears catalog came out and had all the toys in? If you remember it, say, I do. That's because you're old, okay? And now, well, they got Amazon, which is J.C. Penney on crack, okay? And here's what would happen. I had three brothers, and my parents, my mom would say, hey, find you something, you know, in the a, in a, in a catalog that you'd like to have for Christmas. And before Christmas ever got there, the whole toy section was dog-eared and folded down. Oh, walkie-talkie's got to have that. BB gun got to have that. A basketball. We didn't even look at the clothes section, you know. But the toys, man, they were all folded down, marked with a big pen. Do you think my parents ever cared that we marked everything in the catalog? Not one ounce. I raised two girls. Did I ever care for them asking and asking and asking and asking? I never did, and I still don't to this day. In fact... My older daughter and her husband have their house for sale. And then yesterday, she asked Kendra, she said, if we were to sell our house out from under us, we don't have anywhere to live. Can we come and live with y'all? I said, absolutely not. That's a lie. I said, sure you can, as long as Judson comes with you, okay? Sure you can. You can live with us. You, you're a father and a mother. Your parents never get tired of you asking. And listen to me. God does not get tired of you going before him saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. This is what I need. He does not have a problem. He just wants a relationship with you. He just wants a relationship with you. And if you're coming to him before you're coming to yourself, he knows that your priorities are right and you've got him where he needs to be. And so, so we've got to present ourselves uh, before God for the blessing and for the miracle. Uh, Thirteen years ago, Kendra and I and our two daughters lived in central Alabama. And I'm, I, I cannot embellish this. I, this is, I can't even tell it as accurately as my heart believes it. God has just graced us, just blessed us with, amazing, with an amazing life. Um, our girls were in everything in school. They had a wonderful school. We had a wonderful church. Uh, we had a wonderful home and a wonderful neighborhood. It was like a cult. Three of us bought a farm and split it up. And the three that bought it was our secretary at the church and her husband. I was the youth pastor and Kendra and our worship pastor and his wife. We bought a little farm, split it up. I mean, it was like heaven on earth. We're sitting looking at the mountains, wonderful school, wonderful church, wonderful ministry. It was a wonderful life. In fact, I told Kendra that I was, think, I was thanking God for the seasons of life he's given us. He's been really good to us. And, and, and I, I, I'm so thankful that sometimes I, I say, boy, I wish I could just go back and watch that because it was so sweet. He was so good. And, and so, so all of a sudden, right in the middle of that, Brother Mike calls and wants to have lunch. Brother Mike's the pastor over at Clinton campus. And I met him at the Cracker Barrel in Rockwood, Tennessee. And when I pulled the chair out to sit down, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, time to go to Knoxville. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. I'm going to eat a big lunch because I'm really hungry, and that's what that is. Okay. Well, before it's over, God, I had our family pray. Our girls, Kelsey was in middle school, and Caitlin was a freshman in high school. And it was great. And we prayed about what we were supposed to do. And all, the week later, we had a family meeting, and all of them said, yeah, I think we're going to Knoxville. I think we're supposed to go to Knoxville. I think we're supposed to go to Knoxville. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to go to Knoxville because it is sweet. Now, listen, we presented ourselves to God, Master, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What is it you want us to do? And he told us. Now listen to me. We listened to what he said, and he told us what to do. Now I'm going to tell you some really good uh, advice right now. 
if you're going to go before God and ask for a miracle, you better be willing to do what it is he says you need to do. Okay? You better be willing to do what he says you're supposed to do. So we come to Tennessee, and I had a company down there. I had, I had a construction company, and I had a company that sold foundry supplies. And they were very lucrative, and very, the, the, financially they were really, really good. God was good. And I had three partners in the, in the uh, foundry business side. I moved to Tennessee, and I was up here for about six months. And they, the president called me. There were one president and three vice presidents. The president called me and says, Joel, keep in mind the other two guys were, were, were the president's sons. And blood is thicker than water. And when water moves to Tennessee, it gets real diluted. So they said, here's the deal. We think the company would be better off if you were no longer a part of it. And so we're going to pay you for your shares. And I'm like, okay. And so I hung up the phone. I told Kendra. She said, what is it? I said, they don't want me to work with, the, with Scram anymore. She said, what are you going to do? You know, because that's what my wife does. What are you going to do? And I said, I guess I'm going to build houses. She said, whose house are you going to build? And I said, well, I'm going to start with ours. Okay? And then we'll see where it goes. And so for the next several years, it was wide open. Okay? We just built houses, and God blessed it. No worries. Until the church finally was able to make me full time. <laughs> which, strangely enough, was, was the year that the, that the economy crashed. And I said, God, you are too smooth knowing the future like that. Okay? God will take care of you. If you are desperate, and if you present yourself to the one who is a desperate need meter, when you say, God, you are my only hope, Jesus, you are the answer, and before I take it to the bank, before I take it anywhere else, I'm presenting myself to you. You are my master miracle maker. Can you help me out? And God will hear your prayers. So we've got to be desperate. And then we have a desperation, presentation. Thirdly is a revelation. This is when the miracle becomes to, uh, comes into fruition. It says in verse 14, as they went along, they were cleansed. Now, now keep this in mind. Jesus said, go and present yourself to the priest, right? The reason was the priest would look at them, and if they were pure, if their skin looked clean, you know, the priest would say, well, you're missing a couple of uh, tops of your ears and your fingertips are gone. you still got some signs of it. But it appears that your disease has gone into remission. You no longer are leprous. You no longer have leprosy. So you can be a part of the community, a part of society again. Okay, so Jesus said, go present yourself to the priest. Now, here's what's funny about it. They weren't healed yet. But it says, as they went along, they were cleansed. Now, I want to tell you something about God. He will test your faith to see if he will perform a miracle in your life. He will test your faith to see if you're real. Now, he, now here's what he said. You all go and show yourself to the priest. Now, they could have stood there, all ten of them, and said, well, you, don't, you ain't going to make the test because they couldn't see each other. Well, I'm going on down there because he's healed me, but, man, you nine look terrible. You've still got sores all over you. Man, this is awesome. I'm going down there because I'm going to be released, but not you. They didn't do that. They started walking toward the priest. And the Bible says, as they went along, then they were cleansed. I want you to know, that is the pattern that God has used throughout the Bible. In fact, you remember the Old Testament story of Moses delivering the nation of Israel, or God delivering the nation of Israel through Moses? Moses was their leader, okay? And God said, listen, I'm going to save, I'm going to spare the firstborn if you will take uh, the sacrificial blood and take a hyssop and smear it over the doorpost, Okay? And if you do that, then the Passover lamb will not, he will spare the firstborn. 
And so if you read the story, you find out that Pharaoh's son died because they didn't smear the blood over the doorpost. And so he gets so hurt and so in anguish that he says, listen, Moses, tell your people. Now, there was somewhere between one and a half and two million people, they believe. He says, take your people and get out of Egypt. And here, take the spoils with you. Here's some gold. Here's some resources. Here's some animals to take with you. Just get some gone. Now, here's what happens. God had told him to do that. Now, all of a sudden, he finds himself, Moses the leader, standing at the, side, at the shore of the sea. And the sea is right before him. And when he looks back, all of these gullible Hebrews looking at their leader, Moses, thinking, we're standing on the edge of the sea, Moses. And then behind them is the army of Pharaoh. Now, God gives Moses some really interesting instruction. He says, raise your staff. Wait a minute. Now, if I'm standing there, I'm going to think, now, now, God, hold on. There's a whole army back there wanting to kill me. All these people are frustrated now because we're standing on the side of the sea. And now you're wanting me to raise my stick up and say, hey, here I am, here I am. I mean, I've just become the target of the universe. Moses doesn't do that. Now, here's the thing. The sea was still there. It was not parted. But when Moses raised his staff, the sea parted. Spin the, spin the Bible forward to Joshua. We find Joshua sta- standing at, uh, alongside the Jordan River. Same deal. God says, Joshua, tell your priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and step into the water. He didn't say, I'm going to part it, you get in. He says, get in the water, and then I'm going to do something. So listen to me. It's still true today. When you present yourself in desperation before God for a miracle, okay, Before it is revealed, before it's manifested in your life, you have to demonstrate your faith to him. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, when Jesus' ministry, when he walked around on the earth for, three, for the three years, he performed all kinds of miracles, all kinds of healings. But there's an interesting verse in Matthew 13, 58, and it says, And he, Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Do you understand it? Desperation, presentation, revelation requires your faithfulness. He wants to know that you believe him And you believe that he wants what's best in your life. Number four is celebration. Celebration. In verses 15 through 18, it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell with his face to the ground at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, "Uh, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to turn back and give praise to God except this one foreigner? Now, here's the thing. There's ten people who were healed from this devastating terminal illness called leprosy. Ten of them who desperately presented themselves to Jesus. They, 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 they knew where the miracle came from. They did what God had told them, but they didn't return and say thanks. But one of them did. Look at your neighbor and say, only one said thank you. Look at your neighbor again and say, is that one you? Because most often, we, you, me, us, we are part of the nine and not the one. Part of the nine and not the one. Now, I want you to understand 
that in blessings and miracles in your life, you're not the only one interested in it. Jesus is interested in your miracle. I never noticed this before this time, studying this and preparing this. Jesus takes count of his blessings and his miracles. When the one man comes and says, the Bible says he got on his knees before him. Now, if I ask you all to come and get on your knees, you would, you'd, some of y'all would get the diarrhea right there in the seat. You, okay? And here I am before every one of y'all. Why is this such a bad deal? Why is this so hard to humble ourselves before God? Why, why is this so hard? Do we feel exposed? Do we feel gullible? Men, do we feel less manly? Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know why it's so hard. But it's, it's, it's something that's very difficult, especially for men. But God wants this. God deserves this kind of position before him, humbly before him. Okay? And one guy who received a blessing, one-tenth of them show up before Jesus and say, Hey, I just came back to say, uh, you healed me. Thank you. God deserves that, people. What's wrong with us? Why, don't we do, why are we not that broken in thankfulness for all God has done for us? But here's the thing about it. Jesus says, ah, I thought there were ten of you guys. Were, were there not ten of you? Where are the other nine? Here it is. I believe that Jesus takes note of his miracles and his blessings. And he cares because when he blesses or performs a miracle in my life or your life or in the life of our church, listen to me, listen to me. He has done that volitionally. He has done that with intentionality. He has looked into your life and he's looked into your life and he's looked into my life and he says, I am the miracle maker. I am the creator of all blessings. I am the creator and sustainer of all things and I, on my own free will and volition, I'm going to bless you with it. And then he watches and he takes this accounting approach of now where his blessings have landed and what they do with it. Isn't that amazing? Because I'm going to be honest with you. So often God blesses us every day. We don't even say thank you one time. We don't even say thank you for our food. We don't say thank you for our family. We don't say thank you for our church. We don't say thank you for our jobs. We don't say thank you for our resources that he's given us. We don't say thankful for our salvation. We just cruise right on through like the nine and never acknowledge the greatness and the grace and the blessings that he pours out on us each and every day. So desperation, presentation, revelation, celebration, and the last one is continuation. Now, this is really cool. This gets my fire stoked up, okay? He says in verse 19, here's the man humbly bowing before Jesus, expressing his gratitude, and I don't know what's going on here, all right? He says, get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, in some translations, it doesn't say your faith has made you well. It says your faith has saved you. See, Jesus knew that out of those ten, nine of them was just looking for a sign. They were just looking for a, a physical gift called healing. But one of them was there for so much more. He came for the physical healing, but when he got it, he realized, Jesus is bigger than I thought. Jesus is greater than I suspected. 
And so he goes back to him just to say thank you. And because of his heart of gratitude and his faithfulness, Jesus says, hey, you can get up. You've been saved. He has made you well. Now, I just want to tell you that we all have physical needs in our life. We all have physical needs. But we all have a spiritual need. Jesus said something that's really hard to follow. In John 14, 12, Jesus said, I tell you the solemn truth. The person who believes in me will perform the miraculous deeds that I'm doing and will perform greater deeds than these because I'm going to the Father. Wow, that's pretty heavy stuff. Because what had Jesus done that's pretty cool? He took a blind man, gave him sight. Took a deaf man, gave him hearing. Took a, took a crippled man, gave him the ability to walk. Took a dead man, spoke life into him. He got it from the grave. And now Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than these. And I've got a question for you. Have you raised anybody from the dead? No, you have not. Have you given anybody sight? No. Have you given anybody hearing? No. Have you given a lame man the ability to walk? No. So what could you do that's better than that? Here it is. A spiritual blessing is always greater than a physical blessing. And we live in a world that's always looking for a physical blessing. And Jesus said... You'll do greater works. What's a greater work? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you can offer to someone spiritual healing that lasts for eternity. Physical healing, Lazarus, unfortunately, unfortunately, Jesus raised him from the dead. He had to go die again physically. You know what I'm saying? Not, not a good plan. Okay? The, 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 the man he gave vision to, he died, ultimately lost his sight. The crippled man couldn't walk because he was dead. See, the physical things that we pursue are fleeting. They go away. But there's a spiritual gift that he offers and that you get to share with other people. And it's eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so as the band comes forward, <clears throat> I want to paint this picture real for you now. Because we've been talking so far about a, uh, a group of ten men uh, who had leprosy, a, a terminal disease that was vile and, and, and just terrible. And then you say, what does that really have to do with me today? I want you to know who you were before Jesus or possibly who you are without Jesus. The Bible says, describing someone who is lost, the Bible says in Romans 3, 12 through 18, he describes the unbeliever. He described me 45 years ago, before Jesus came into my life. And this is what he said about me. It's worse than leprosy. He says, all have turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. Their throats are open graves, and they deceive with their tongues. And the poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That, that was me. That was me. In fact, he could have started it by saying, Joel, that was me. And he saw me like that. And you know what he did about it? Romans 5. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was me. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, perhaps 
someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am that leper. Set aside, apart from God's kingdom. Contagious, because it's in my DNA. I passed it on to my daughters. It's me that that story is about. And so the question is for me and for you, will I be the one that realizes where it all comes from? Or will I be the nine who simply walk on down the street and take it all for granted? I want to be the one. And I want you to be the one. And on your worship guide, if there's two lists on there, spiritual and physical miracles in your life. Things that you should be thankful for. And you can fill it out now. You can fill it out in your heart. You could take it today and over lunch fill it out. I'm calling you all. I'm, I'm inviting you all to a new level of gratitude, a place where you just go before God. Get on your knees. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Nobody's going to sneak up on you. It's okay. And just tell God, thank you, God. Thank you for being so good to me in spite of myself.